Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are marching on in our study of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll primarily be in John chapter 7 today. But there is a section in Luke that I want us, uh, first of all, uh, to read. And it begins in chapter 9 and verse 51. And uh, Luke records this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy him? Destroy them, rather. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went into another village. Actually, Jesus said, you do not know what spirit you're of. Amen. Because um, Jesus didn't come to destroy. He came to save. Amen. Praise God. And verse 57, and as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, but he replied, Lord, let first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So the message here is that we take Jesus or, or nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. When we follow Jesus, everything else comes behind. And this is absolute truth. You know, my old Methodist pastor said to me, many uh, said to the congregation many, many years ago, no man can come face to face with Jesus Christ without being affected by him in some way. Either we will love him or hate him. So we either have all of Jesus or we have none of him. And there's no half measure. And so this is the way that we are to uh, pledge our lives and consecrate our lives to serve him, to serve him all the way. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's go ahead and pray before we get into our, our uh, message today. Father, we bless you. We ask the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us to help us today, both in the teaching of your word and in the receiving of your word. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. Now, in John chapter 7, there are seven statements that Jesus said, and of these seven statements, we can glean some truth. And uh, we have to remember this, that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So if we're going to follow Jesus, then we're going to have to follow his words. And by the way, in this chapter, Jesus mentions himself and his teaching seven times by the word, uh, by the phrase, I am. Amen. So that's to me, that is significant. So when Jesus talks about himself, you and I need to listen and we need to understand because we must emulate the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I think that's what we're going to learn today. 
So in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says this. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee and did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, uh, Jesus' brothers rather said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus at no point in time sought to become a public figure. He sought to do the will of his Father which is in heaven. And see, this separates those who believe in Christ from those who do not. Those who don't just believe Jesus as a, as a man, just a person, no, nothing uh, special about him. But those who have come to believe in Christ know that he is the one with a capital O. He is the one. But notice this is the first statement of Jesus in reply. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for you. Any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival I am not going up to this festival because my time is not yet fully come. Now, the word time here is the Greek word kairos, and kairos time is an appointed time. It is an appointed time to fulfill an appointed task. So Jesus says, my appointed time to fill my appointed task is not yet. So that was a mild uh, rebuff of what his brothers were saying to him. Just go ahead and show yourself. If you want to be recognized, then you've got to go to Jerusalem, present yourself. But Jesus is going to present himself, but not at this time. And then Jesus said this. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. And the world hates, and Jesus specifically is speaking of the Jewish world now. He's speaking specifically of the religious leaders. Amen. And it's because the world doesn't hate its own, because the world doesn't condemn itself for its evil. But the world hated Christ because Christ condemned the world, talking about the religious leaders, of its evil. And the world is, hates us and hates the message of the gospel. Why? Because they do not want anyone to tell them and condemn them for their sin. But yet we don't condemn people for their sin. But, we, but they are condemned because through the working of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And we'll see that when we get over to John chapter 16. And so reading on, and after this, he said, after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? It's an important uh, point to make right here now that Jesus is turning his ministry, the bulwark of his ministry, away from Galilee and now he is setting his face towards Jerusalem. So from here on in, most of his ministry is going to be in the region of Judea. And of course, that final week, that Passion Week, he is going to present himself uh, to the Jews in Jerusalem. All right, reading on, verse 12. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. 
And some said he is a good man. Notice that some said he's a good man. There's a progression here between a good man, a prophet and the Messiah. And it's all based upon the words of Jesus. And of course, his actions also. Others replied, no, he deceives the people, but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. So we see right here that not everyone believed in Jesus. And then reading on verse 14, and not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Now, Jesus did not lie to his brothers. He said, it is not time for me yet to go. He fully intended to go, but he went in secret. He was not going to go uh, with his family. But now this is the second Jesus. Notice this again, verse 15. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And this second statement of the Lord Jesus, he answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Uh, Note here. We speak the words of God. And what that means is that we speak on behalf of God himself. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, my teaching comes from God and I do not speak on my own. And the person who does speak on his own, in other words, he has his own teaching. He doesn't have God's teaching. He has his own teaching. And this is a good reminder to those that fill pulpits across this nation. Whoever speaks on his own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. So when we speak the word of God, we're speaking truth. And we're not doing that on our own behalf. We're doing it on behalf of the one who sent us. See, we cannot take credit for our teaching in its original form, because it comes from God. It's the Spirit, amen, who teaches us all things. It's the Spirit who brings all things to our remembrance. It's the Spirit who enlightens us according to the Scriptures, amen. And if we don't have the Spirit in our teaching, if we're not relying and leaning upon the Holy Spirit to give us revelation and to give us illumination, then we're just fooling ourselves. And we place ourselves into a dangerous situation because are we really speaking the very words of God? Are we speaking our own word? Are we teaching people that teaching that comes from God or are we teaching that which is our own? And if we're teaching that which is our own, then it's going to profit us nothing. Notice what Jesus said. My teaching comes from him who sent me. So we have to ask ourselves the question, uh, can we say that? Is the teaching, is that which we teach? Is it coming from the one who sent us? And is our teaching honoring the one who sent us? See, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the teach that which I teach, I'm teaching the one who I honor. Amen. So we have to be very careful that that which we're teaching is teaching that is honoring God and that 
is uh, is not honoring man. Amen. Uh, notice what Jesus says now. He says, uh, he's talking about the law of Moses. He says, uh, you know the law of Moses, yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? And so the law came by Moses, but it came by revelation from God. It wasn't Moses' law. It was God's law that he gave to Moses for the people of Israel. And what the Jews did is over the centuries, they turned God's law into rules and traditions. And they defiled the law by, by keeping, by breaking it, by the design to, to make the law say what they wanted to say, like modern judge, judges and justices today. The Constitution, the Constitution says what we say it says, but that's not how it is. That's not how it was originally. Amen. And then verse 20, you are demon possessed. And the crowd answered, who is trying to kill you? And Jesus said to them, this is the third statement. I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Notice what he says here. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So we have to ask ourselves a question. When somebody comes into our congregation, are we judging them by appearance? Or are we judging them correctly? When we look at the word of God, are we judging the word of God by our appearance or are we judging the word of God as it is in truth, the word of God which lives and abides forever? The Jews made the word of God of no effect through their traditions. And they proved that by wanting to murder Jesus, which was against the law. It broke one of the Ten Commandments, but it didn't matter to them because their traditions were more important than the word of God. I tell you, the 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 United States of America would be a different nation today if our leaders made just judgments according to the Ten Commandments, according to the commandments of God in the Old Testament and according to the sayings of Jesus in the New Testament. This is why it's so important for us as believers to pray for God to grant us godly leaders. Amen. All right, verse 25. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? See, the Jews knew that the religious leaders were trying to kill Jesus. Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. Notice what others are saying. But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. See, they're still looking at Jesus as just an ordinary man and not who he is in truth, the Son of God. All right, now this fourth statement. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true 
You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So Jesus is saying, yeah, you know that I am from Nazareth, but you do not know the one who sent me. Say, where did Jesus come from? Well, we know he came from heaven via Bethlehem and then via Nazareth. And what authority did Jesus operate by? Well, the Father in heaven gave him that authority. When the Holy Ghost came upon him, amen, and Jesus left Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit, went into the desert, fasted 40 days, 40 nights, came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit, see. God gave to him the Spirit without measure. See, it's Jesus. I mean, it's the Father that sent Jesus. And Jesus himself said, my father and I are one. And for that, the Jews wanted to stone Jesus. But if we know, if, but if we know Christ the Savior, then we know who he is. We know where he came from. And we know the authority whereby he operated, because that's the same authority he's given to us. Amen. Praise God. Verse 30. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because he's equating himself equal with the father, which he is. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. Notice that many in the crowd believed in him, had faith in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him, and then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Now, why did they want to seize Jesus? Well, they wanted to seize him because they wanted to shut him up. They had already rejected his testimony. But now you and I, as believers in Christ, we have an obligation to show to the world the real Jesus. See, Jesus demonstrated who he is, the real person of the Messiah, but they rejected him because they did not want him to rule over them. They wanted to rule over him. They didn't want to give up their place of power. And that's exactly what this world is like. The world is not going to give up their place of power, amen, to serve Jesus. And because of that, they're going to miss the Savior and they're going to die and go to hell one day. But you and I, as believers in Christ, we have an obligation to show the world the real Jesus, not a facsimile, not a facsimile of him, who the real Jesus is. And the, the only way we're going to do that is preach the words of Jesus. Know the sayings of Jesus and preach Jesus just like the scriptures say of him. All right, now the fifth statement that Jesus says here, he says, I am with, this is in verse 33, I am with you for only a short time and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. Neither the Jews nor the disciples were able to go where Jesus was going. And the reason being is he's going to heaven. He's going to the cross by himself. Nobody's going to help him. He's going to suffer and die on the cross over six hours of torture. He is going to go to hell for three days and three nights in awful combat. And he's going to receive the king, the keys of death and of hell. 
And then the third day, he's going to be raised again and he's going to lead a whole host of captives and, and ascend into heaven to receive that glory that God said that he would have. He's going to spend 40 days. He's going to return. He's going to spend 40 days with his disciples. He's going to ascend up to heaven. Amen. For good. And 10 days later, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to do exactly what he told the disciples he would do. He's going to send the comforter. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And all this. The only reason you and I are going to be able to go to heaven is Jesus is going to return and take us there. We can't go there of our own merit. God has to grant that. And God will grant that in honor of our faith in him. Praise God. So you don't need to be afraid that one day you might miss the rapture. If you're following Jesus, if you're living for him and you've and you've kissed this old world goodbye. And your hands are raised towards him. I want you to know something. When Jesus comes, you're going to be changed and you're going to be with him forever for all eternity. This is the great hope that we have that Jesus is going to return one day. Verse 35 says, and the Jews said one to another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What he did, what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And once again, the only way that we see Jesus is by invitation, not our invitation. You know, the whole world is looking for salvation. But the only way they're going to be able to see salvation and receive salvation is that is by invitation. And that invitation is in the gospel. Jesus said himself, no man can come unto me unless my father, which is in me, draw him like a net. God will draw us to Jesus. But all of that depends upon our response to the gospel. God, by his volition, will open up our hearts when the gospel is preached. If, if we if our gospel, if our heart is not open, he's going to pass by and we'll miss. We'll send away our day of invitation, our day of visitation. But yet when God opens up our heart and, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of sin and convince us of our need of Jesus, if we yield to that. Amen. And if we. Uh, God, the, the gospel will teach us and the Holy Spirit will show us our need to repent and our need by faith to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And he'll come into us and he'll instantly translate us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And we will be born again. The only people that are going to inhabit heaven are twice born men, men that are born of water but also men that are born of the Spirit. Praise God. So the only way that we're going to see Jesus is by invitation. And that invitation is in the gospel. And that's how God draws us to himself. Praise God. Amen. Now, that was the sixth statement. This is the seventh statement. On the last day, the great day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, this is the seventh statement now in this chapter. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, 
Rivers of living water shall flow from within him. I'm reading out of the NIV translation. And Jesus took this passage from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1. Reading down, I think, through verse 6. And then John goes on and he says this, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him, notice that, had already believed in him, were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Amen. And see, this verse is speaking of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's not speaking of the new birth. He's speaking of the subsequent work of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Two works, two great works. Now, the work that gets you into heaven is the new birth. But the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a deeper dimension of the Spirit. It's the Spirit baptism or the Spirit infilling that we need, amen, so that signs will follow us. Now, there's a lot of signs that follow us as new believers, but there are other things, power. Notice what uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that Luke records, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And she shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, uh, there are people that are witnesses unto Jesus who aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask you a question. Why is it among Pentecostals and Charismatics primarily that people are getting healed, that the dead are being raised, that blind eyes are open and deaf ears are unstopped and the dumb speak? How is it that a man that afflicted with cataracts and, and his eyes are, are just he's blinded by cataracts, and yet when a man of God lays hands on him, that cataracts disappears? How is that possible? How is it possible that a man can lay hands on a woman that's been in a wheelchair for 22 years and she gets up and walks out of that wheelchair? How is that possible? How is it possible that a woman born blind when hands are laid upon her suddenly can hear sounds for the first time in her entire life? And how are these things not happening in churches where the Holy Spirit is not allowed to move and where people are not taught to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? Why aren't these things happening in these churches? Well, it's because these things require a deeper dimension of the Spirit. Thank God for being born again. There's power in the new birth. Amen. And you and I can live out the full experience of the new birth. But if we want to see these signs that I just spoke of, signs that have followed believers who receive this deeper dimension of the Spirit, then we're going to have to go on and begin to seek for and receive by faith this deeper dimension of the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, now uh, John records verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Messiah. Notice the progression. People are going from he is the good man to he is the prophet to he is the Messiah. Still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Well, Jesus did come from Bethlehem. 
and he is of the line of David. But see, these people are just curious. They're not interested to know more about him. All they had to do was walk up to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, where were you born? What town were you from? How did you wind up in Nazareth? See, we have to if we really want eternal life, then we have to inquire and not just be curious. A friend of mine started going to a Baptist church and the Baptist church taught the new birth. Well, after several Sundays, he went down to the altar and he gave his life to Christ, but nothing happened to him. And see, when he went home and he kept inquiring about this and kept acquiring about this and kept inquiring about this because he wanted to be bought, he wanted to be born again. And in his praying and in his inquiring before the Lord, you know, the new birth came upon him, came into him. And he knew at that very moment he had the witness of the spirit. He knew in that moment that he was a born again child of God. Grew up, became a tremendous missionary and is still is still in the ministry today after these many years. See, if we really want to know the new birth. And if we're willing to inquire, if we're willing to seek the Lord, Jesus will appear. He will come. He will find us. There's something about the faith in Christ that causes God to move over and jump over a million men to get to the person of faith. If you really want to know Jesus, he's not that far away. Amen. And finishing out this chapter, verse 45, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the, guard, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. And Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of his own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Amen. So seven things that we can glean from this study today. Our time is always ready. Our time is always ready to receive Jesus. The second thing is our teaching. It has to come from the one who sent us. Anything other than that is worthless. The third thing that we see is that we are to judge not by appearance, but we are to judge correctly. And how do we do that? We do that through the word and we do it through the spirit of God. The fourth thing that the fourth thing that we can know from this teaching is that we are to know God because we are to be born again and we are to know that he has sent us to be instruments to win others to Christ. The fifth thing that we can understand from this and take away from this lesson today is that religion is man's effort to find God. But Jesus came so that through him we might be saved. It's Christ who has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You and I cannot save ourselves. The world cannot save itself. Christ has to be in the center of it. The sixth thing we can take away from this lesson is that when Christ comes, we must be ready to meet him at his coming. It's not the religious that Jesus is coming for. It's the saved. So we have to be absolutely sure that we do not miss our day of invitation. 
When God calls, we must answer. And the seventh takeaway from this lesson is that God wants us to be saved and filled with the Spirit. He wants us to have both. He wants to he wants to take the well of water that's in us and turn it into rivers of living water. And what that means to us today is that every believer must have their own Pentecost. Father, we bless you and thank you today for your goodness and for your mercy. We thank you for your word and we trust in your ability, Father God, not only to save us, but to keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.